on friendology. We're talking about friendships uh, last week, this week, and then next week we're going to talk about friendship. That's going to be it. And I think it's a pretty critical, pretty crucial uh, thing. And it was funny, last, la- this last week someone said, don't talk about this anymore. You're too challenging on me. No, no well, they, they really did say that. But um, <laughs> they were laughing as they said that. But this can be a very challenging subject, can it? Because a lot of us do live somewhat uh, sheltered, somewhat uh, cloistered lives. And so we want to talk about this this morning. And we're going we're gonna to really preach today out of, of a passage that a lot of us probably know somewhat well. It's a the concept that you may not even be a church person or be a, a raised in the church, but I'm sure at some point you've heard this concept talked about. And this is a verse, uh, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. Now when I say that, that verse, what comes to your mind today? Just go ahead. It's probably an image. What comes to your mind? Tell your neighbor. Say, neighbor, this is what comes to my mind. So go ahead. Just do that really, really quick here. Just let, let them know. What comes to my mind is blank. Now, how many of you said on some level what came to your mind was like knives sharpening? Anyone, anyone say that or think that or see that? Right? Like these knives sharpening and such. Um, when, I, when I think of that, it always goes back to food for me. And so I think of um, Japanese steakhouses. And I like those places. My daughter, Michaela, really likes Japanese steakhouses. And they're, they're great because they're, they're, they're food and a show, right? And what, what couldn't you like about that? And, and so sometimes they're better than others. I remember a couple years back, uh, we were with some friends of ours down in Apple Valley at a conference, and we had lunch at one of those places, and it was so memorable, I'll never forget what happened. And so the, the, the chef was, you know, doing his thing, comes in, you know, with his cart and doing his thing. He has two knives in his hands, and he's flinging up all over the place. And, and, and he, he does this really amazing thing in that he, he someone orders shrimp, and he, he puts shrimp on the, on the cooktop, and he flicks it up in the air, and it goes up in the air, and his knives... He has knives in both hands, and it comes down on top of his knives, and this shrimp, like, cuts right down the middle on his knife. Pretty awesome. And, and then he does this again, and he does it again. I'm like, I bet you can't do that again. He's like, watch me. So he does the whole thing again, flicks it up in the air. The, the shrimp comes down, swoop, cuts in two. It was amazing. He does it with the steak. He does it with the chicken. It was, it was awesome. You would have to have a sharp knife for that. And some of you are all guys like, you looks like you have a sharp knife and you are nervous right now because I am throwing it around like this. But I trust me, I've got good hands. But, 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 you know, what takes a knife to be that sharp? Now, conventional wisdom says for that guy, what ha- what's happening is he, is he is like, you know, he's got his knives beforehand and he's, doing, he's rubbing them together and that's what works to sharpen his knives. But you know, the thing I think about this is that Iron actually doesn't sharpen iron, does it? Knives don't sharpen other knives. Now, it seems that they do, right? But any chef will tell you that what it takes is not another knife to sharpen a knife. That's just all for show. That there's something else that has to happen to sharpen that knife. And again, this is not usually what happens. It's usually you use a stone to sharpen a knife, right? 
a knife, everyone kind of knows this, and I'm not, a, I'm not a metal or a knife expert, but I do have a set of kitchen knives. I bought them at Kohl's about a year ago for 40 bucks, so now I got, I'm an expert on knives, but, but our, 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 our knife set has a little sharpening stone inside of it. It's really very deluxe, and so, you know, I know you're jealous of me right now, but, but it does, but you know, this, this is actually not a stone. What it is, it's, it's, two, it's two steel rods. And they are at an angle in, our, in our, our, our block. And what you do is you run your knife through that sharpening edge or sharpening stone, and that's how you sharpen it. But what I didn't know, actually, and maybe you knew this and I didn't. I'm not really a chef. But what I didn't know is that that actually doesn't sharpen your knife. What happens is, is that your knife over time uh, gets, gets an edge on it. It gets nicks, it gets, it gets cuts. They're very small, you can't see them, but nicks and cuts. And what happens is the metal at the very end of your knife, it's so fine and so small that, that using it actually compresses the metal and it just dulls the blade. And so when you run that blade through that sharpening stone, it actually doesn't sharpen it. What it does is it repositions the very end of the blade back to where it was intended to be in the beginning. And that's really how those things work. But now this passage, though, doesn't say iron reshapes iron, doesn't it? It actually says iron sharpens iron. So is it I had someone a while back actually question me on this. They, I didn't realize this, but as I, I studied a little more, this actually is a point of contention for some skeptics on the Word of God. Because they say that, well, the Bible is not accurate or true. Just look at the verse that every Christian quotes, iron sharpens iron. Everyone knows iron does not actually sharpen iron. You may not have known that, but there are skeptics that actually rest their skepticism on things like this. But what I have learned is places like that in the Scripture where the Bible seems to be this kind of weird spot where it's like, well, does that really happen? There is a gold mine to discover. And this passage is no different This as this walks through this. And so what I did is I researched uh, this last week. I researched the, the Old Testament blacksmithing and, and knife making. And um, I learned some interesting things about knife making back in the Old Testament times. What they did is they took a piece of iron and they, 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 they beat it down with a hammer and got it down to somewhat of an iron type. But of course, a hammer can't do that. And so what they would then do is they would take another tool known as a file or a steel file. And yes, they had steel back then. They had iron that they would smelt and they would iron that they would kind of heat up. And they would combine this iron with other elements and other pieces and it became steel and it would be dropped in, in, in water and cold, and it would instantly harden this, this steel file, and the steel file was then used to file down this, 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 this iron knife closer to become more and more uh, uh, sharp. And then what would happen after that is they took what's known as a whetstone, and they finished the job on their, on their knife. And so what would happen is they needed all of these tools to make their knife sharp. When this passage here talks to us about iron sharpening iron, I think it kind of works for us in a very similar light. And I'll be honest with you, when I used to read this verse, I thought of it in context of me 
sitting down with a friend of mine for coffee, talking about Jesus and just kind of shooting the breeze, as that's what iron sharpens iron is. But again, let's listen to this, this, this passage again. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. See, oftentimes iron does not sharpen iron. Actually, two blades or two Two knives of the same elements rarely actually are able to sharpen each other, at least not very well. This passage is from the King James Version, and you might have the King James Version. If you don't today, your version may not have the word countenance in it. It it might delete that off. And and I will tell you, uh, oftentimes, uh, the the King James Version is good, sometimes it's not good, but it just kind of depends Uh, This is a spot where the King James Version actually translates this passage correctly. The word countenance is discovered, is found in the original language. And that word countenance speaks to the idea of of face. And and I don't know about you, but I wear my emotions on my face. If I am frustrated, you can tell I'm frustrated. If I'm nervous or I'm scared, my face turns red. I hate it. I can feel it happening. And I'm like, oh, come on, stop. And I can't do it because I wear that on my face. And what happens sometimes is I, I love people. I really do. I like being with people. I like having coffee and talking and such. But there are times when I talk with people, even believers, that I am not actually sharpened. That my face actually shows that I'm not very sharpened. In fact, sometimes I'm actually dulled when I talk to people. I, I'm, I'm dulled. I'm nicked. I'm frustrated. I feel used. I feel all those kind of things sometimes. That, that happens sometimes when I talk to to believers and non-believers and all kinds. See, because here's the deal today. Just the idea of, sh- of rubbing two knives together doesn't actually sharpen anything. You see, this morning, sometimes rather than sharpen us, some people even dull us. And you're like, really? You can say that in church? Yes, I can. Because just getting together doesn't have a great effect on any of us more than just rubbing two knives together sharpens us. Well, this passage here today gives us some incredible insight into how this actually works because you might be here today and you might feel that you are dulled or you are nicked or you are used or you are just any combination of any of those things and you need someone to help sharpen you. This passage today, in the context of how it is written, actually gives us some incredible insight in how this this really works. Again, if you, we go to look at this this morning, there's kind of three things that, that come out of this idea. There's three kind of ways this works. You see, contact with the right tool leads to a good finish. Contact with the right tool leads to a good finish. The, the first part here, contact, this comes down to the word community. Now, I'm not talking about community as far as our city we live in or, or, or whatever. I'm talking about community in context of The church, the the body of believers, the Christians, where we are right here. I want to be honest with you this morning. Christianity, biblical Christianity, doesn't allow for hermits. And some of you are like, great. I just want to come to church. I want to listen to the message. I want to just go home. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to see anyone. I just want to just file on the back and that's it. I will be honest with you. That's okay for a season. But long-term Christianity doesn't allow for that to happen. The part, part of the reason is because when coming to Christ, you are called out of selfishness into being others-centered. Listen to what Philippians chapter 2 says. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Well, it's hard to do that if there's no others in your life, right? 
let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, there's nobody else in your life. It's impossible to do that. Galatians 6, chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This command isn't for someone else, right? Although it is for someone else, it really is. But we don't have a problem with that as much as it is also for us. All of us. This is what we are called to live like and, and do. It's for all of us. You see, church, this morning, coming to Christ puts you on a crash course with community. It just does. And, and it's like, well, maybe or maybe not. No, it, it just does. It, it puts you on a crash course with that. Now, we come from all spots. Some of us are very, very outspoken, and we're very loud and such. That's me. Some of us are not quite so much. That might be you this morning. But it puts all of us on a crash course with community. And no weapon, no tool, no knife can be sharpened without contact first. You know, no, no chef can throw his knife in the air and expect that by doing that, that it will be sharpened. And also, no knight, no chef can just kind of wave his, his, his knife against another knife and hope that in somehow, some way, that knife becomes sharp. When you see this morning, church, that there's a truth I want to share with you today. The, the enemy works in isolation. God works in community. You know this this morning. The enemy would love nothing more than to get you cornered in some spot by yourself where you think no one likes you, no one cares about you, no one is there for you, no one's. The enemy would love to get you in some spot where you feel like you are cornered and you are isolated and you are not there. He would love that because when you're there, you are in a spot that you are susceptible to the work of the enemy because all of us come to a spot in time where we can get weak, we can get frustrated, we can get struggling. If we're by ourselves, the enemy can pick us out and pull us off. There is strength in community. God calls us to work and to live in community. See, we need contact. But then the next part is contact when the tool is used right. See, this morning, church, the iron only sharpens iron when it's used correctly. The same is said of us this morning. It may seem obvious, but if you're not making the right contacts, I'll be honest with you, your relationship may not yield the desired results. You can hang out with believers and say, we're all going to talk and we're all going to have a nice potluck and we're going to talk and we're going to hang out and that's what we're going to do. But I don't feel sharpened. This morning, this passage gives us insight into how this happens. It happens when the tool is, is used right. And to see this, we're going to look at the life of David real fast today. David had a well-known and significant failure. We know that. He, he struggled. He made a big mistake, and he paid for that. But you will also find in David's life that David was a man who God used incredibly and had a lot of amazing things that God did through him. And I want to argue today that part of the purpose and part of the way that happened was because David had three friends in his life that are it's critical for us to see who they are. And church, you need these people in your life as well. Now, it could be one person. It could be three people. But you need these people in your life. The first one this morning was, was Samuel. You need a friend who makes you better. God, God rejected Saul as king. We know King Saul was the first king of Israel. God rejected him. His heart was not for God. There's all this kind of thing going on. God rejected him as king. God chose Samuel the prophet to anoint the next king. He said he'd come from the house of Jesse. And all of his brothers came through this place. And Samuel said, nope, nope, not that one, not that one. Until the very last one, there he was. 
It was David's. And nobody else thought David could be this one except for God and for Samuel. And so listen to what happens here. In 1 Samuel 16, it says, And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went down to Ramah. From this point forward, David and Samuel had an incredible relationship. If you read the story of David and, and, and you see Samuel, oftentimes Samuel was this person that consistently called things in and out of David and made him better. You have people in your life that uh, are there maybe by accident. You have work friends. You have people um, possibly that you uh, go to the gym with. You know, if you go to the gym, you're crazy, but whatever. You go to the gym, you know, or you, you do things with. It's possible that you have friends on your neighborhood or, or whatever. A lot of your friends are very potentially people that you care about and you spend time with, but they're kind of there by accident. My question is, is do you have anyone in your life who makes you better? Do you have anyone in your life that, that makes you, you, you a better person? You, you need people like this. For me in my, my life, a couple of years back, I had a friend named, named Ron. Uh, it's an, it was an unlikely friendship. Uh, Ron was a 70-something truck driver. I was a mid-30s young pastor with a young family. Uh, Ron's kids were all gone, grown up, and, and gone away. Mine were just get starting out. And him and I struck up a friendship. And it's, it has been a significant thing in my life. It came a time when I needed a person like this, and, and Ron consistently was this person in my life. He made me better. Over coffee and over sub sandwiches at Subway, uh, we met almost weekly. We talked through things, and Ron said I helped him, but I know it's not true as much as he helped me. Ron made me better. I will tell you this morning, church, you need people in your life that are like that. Number two, you need Jonathan. You need a friend who strengthens you spiritually. David anointed the next king, and, and David, of course, was anointed. We know that he was, he was not king yet. He was a war hero. And, and we know that David, um, what, or that, that the women would dance in the streets. They would yell and say, Saul killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And, and so everyone loved David, and he was quite the, the guy. But the one person who didn't like him was King Saul. And so we know that King Saul uh, had it out for David, and so David uh, felt threatened, as I can imagine. If the king wants me dead, he wants me dead. And so he runs for the hills. And what happens here is David has an interesting thing happen. First Samuel 23, while David was at Horish in the desert of Zip, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And I'll be honest with you, I get it, David. You ran, I get it. That makes sense to me. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David now, you can think, well, man, that's bad news, right? Your dad wants to kill me. I don't know. But no, Jonathan went to David and helped him find strength in God. Listen to me this morning. You may be flying high right now. You might be at the lowest point in your life or someplace in between. But there will come a time in your life when you need someone who can do this for you in your life. You just do. And again, you don't know when that time is. You don't know when that time comes. You might be there right now. You need someone to strengthen you spiritually. And what I've discovered in my life is that if I'm going to see this happen in my life, the very first thing I need 
is not to wait for someone to come to me and do this in my life. I need to learn to value this like God values this in my life. I need to learn how to value this need for someone to speak into my life, for someone who makes me better, for someone who strengthens me spiritually. The world tells you you don't need anybody else. God says that you do. And you need to learn, I need to learn, we need to learn how to think like he's called us to. And we need to learn how to value this and place value on this in our lives. You need this person who gives you spiritual strength. And the next person, you need is you need a Nathan. You need a friend who tells you the truth. Now, you may know the story this morning. If you don't today, uh, we fast forward a few more years, and David is anointed king. It's going great. Everyone loves him. The country is thriving. Things are growing. I mean, David is doing an amazing thing. And what often happens in times of success, we get our eyes off of God and put them on something else. David, of course, got his eyes off of what God wanted and put him on Bathsheba. And so David, in order to justify this dumb decision, he has Bathsheba's husband go to the front lines of war. And so David didn't technically kill him, uh, but he sent him out there. And everyone knows what happened when David does this. He sends him out to the front lines, and the man is killed. And David takes Bathsheba as his own wife, and the, the rest is history. And David does not see the problem with this. And so God sends a man named Nathan into David's life. And, and Nathan uh, comes to him and, and says, David, I got a story to tell you this morning. And this is how it goes. He says, picture this. There is a wealthy man who owns a million cattle and a million sheep. So many that they, they cover the mountains and the valleys. They're everywhere as far as you can see. There's no number to these, these, these animals. And he's wealthy and without question. He's amazing. And he says, and his neighbor has only one little sheep. It's one sheep that he loves greatly, though, and he cares for and treats this little sheep like one of his own. And, and he feeds it from his table, and he just loves this little sheep. And so he says, he says, picture this for a minute. This wealthy king has a wealthy traveler come from far away who's traveling to town, and he's hungry. So this king says, I know how I'll feed him, not from my plenty, not from all my, my countless cattle and sheep. He says, he goes to the poor man who has one sheep, and he slaughters that sheep, and he kills it, and he eats it, or he cooks it, and that's what they have for dinner. And David is incensed. How dare he do that? Ah, bring the guy to me. I, I'll take care of him right now. And Nathan, of course, we know, if you know the story, Nathan says this. He says in Hebrew, he says, Ataish. Everyone say Ataish. Now you know Hebrew this morning. You're welcome. Now, now, Ataish, he says, David, you are the man. Now, now this is what's so fascinating about this moment here because Nathan took, it was, it was a tough thing for him to do this. Can you imagine going to the most powerful man in the country who, who has just done something like this, who has a guy killed? Can you imagine going to that guy and, says, and saying, that's what you are. You're the, guy. You're the bad guy here. Nathan has an incredible amount of guts to do this. But what does David do? See, I love what David does. And this is why David is a man after God's own heart. Because David trusted his friend enough to listen. And suddenly what David could not see before, he now saw and he fell before God brokenhearted. Man, you got to read Psalm 51 sometimes. That, that, that scripture is, you know, that's where he's, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit 
within me. That, 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 that psalm is, is wonderful. And that comes after this moment. David has no idea what's happening. David needs his friend to come into his life and call it out of him. Church, truthfully, a steel file works on a knife only because it's different. It takes some work. It takes some resistance. It takes some heat. It takes some things, but that works because it's different. It's purposeful. It has a reason. This morning, church, you are iron sharpens iron. You are sharpened by someone else, not just because you get together and hang out, because there's a purposeful time when you allow God to use someone else in your life to bring sharpening to that blade on your life. Church, we need to understand this this morning, but what sometimes can happen is we can miss this because we look at this concept wrongly. We think, I'll be that guy, I'll be that girl, sure, I'll, do, I'll give truth to someone, truth hurts. And we say, I'm going to jab the knife into that person, turn it, because the truth hurts. If that's your attitude, you are going to continue to not have this in your life. Also, though, sometimes we look at ourselves and say, I don't want someone to jab the knife into me, so I'm not going to tell anyone or allow anyone into my life like this because I don't want this. I want to do my life in my own way, just the way that I am. Church, you need iron sharpens iron friendships. But you need it because they're different and because they do this. See, church, we, we get dull. Life has a way of doing that. It's critical for us to own the need for iron sharpens iron friendships in our lives. I want to get to next week into the kind of the way we do this. And we're going to walk through this in a pretty cool way next week. Don't, don't miss it. But uh, there's a couple of things that I want to encourage you to sharpen with. You, we sharpen with grace-filled speech. We sharpen with godly wisdom, with faithfulness, with selfless love, with humility. We don't sharpen with jabbing the knife into someone else. We sharpen with these kinds of things, these motions in our lives. As the band comes forward and closes us up this morning, I want to close with one more thoughts and idea today. You see, you, 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 you need, the, you need the, the, the connection. You need the contact with the right tools. But you need those things to, to produce the right finish in your life. Again, we've often looked at this passage as being that iron sharpens iron. And again, we kind of know today a little bit that, yeah, it does to a point and to a certain degree, but it doesn't finish the job. See, in those days, and in, the, in days nowadays, iron can file down the, 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 the knife to a certain place. But I will tell you today, iron can't, or iron can't finish the job. Is it any coincidence that God, our Savior, God, our Father, is known in the Word as the rock upon which we live our lives? Is, any, is it any coincidence that not only do we, we base our lives upon Him as the rock, but also that you are sharpened using a whetstone? and a whetstone only. Church this morning, if your friendships aren't leading you to be finished in the presence of God and sharpened there in God's presence, you need some new friends. Now, I don't tell you that to say, I can't talk with you anymore. We're not friends. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's important for you to invest in friends that leads you to the rock that's higher than I. It leads you to God. It leads you to him because, church, you are not sharpened. You are not finished sharpening in the presence of anyone or anything outside of God the rock who is your finishing work in your life this morning. Church, you, you need to know that and understand that your friendships prepare you and lead you to be sharpened by 
God's. Now, as, as Pastor Joe begins to play this morning, if you would stand across this room today, all across this room, if you would, and would you close your eyes? Let's just let God minister in you today because you, you might come to a spot and say, well, this, this isn't happening in my life right now. And maybe it might be, or maybe it's not this morning, but what we oftentimes do at moments like this is we say it's not happening, and we wait for someone else to do this in our lives, right? God, I want this. I, I need this. And I brought you to this place today because I want you to come to grips with the value of this in your life. But I've not brought you here to say it's not happening and feel discouraged and feel broken down and feel frustrated. And I know there's some in this room today who you are, in fact, disappointed. You are, in fact, struggling. You do feel that you are an island that no one else is there to serve you and help you and sharpen you. That's where you are right now. And you're just, you're just, let's just be honest. I'll remind you again of our verse last week. Let's not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. Again, bow your heads, close your eyes. Please. You might say this morning, Pastor, I, I'm struggling today with this. And I, I, but again, I would venture to guess that in much of your response to this idea is that your response has been passive. And I will tell you today, that cannot be your response. Because if that's your response, you will continue to have the, the, the life that you have right now. God's not called you to say, I want you to have this and dangle it in front of you and say, but you really can't because you are this or you are that. Some of you today, you are not, you're not outgoing and you're like, I'm scared to talk to someone. How could this ever happen in my life? I, I don't want to talk to anyone, but I need this. Some of you this morning, you have a lot of friends, but you don't have anyone who is sharpening you. And you're waiting for that to happen. And I want to encourage you to look at this in a different light this morning. See, the, the call is not for you to wait for this. The call is for you to go out and say, God, you place this on my heart, send me. Amen? That's the call that God's placed in your heart. I like this morning. Because what the enemy wants to do is to, to, to put you in a corner and say, you don't have anyone that cares. No one likes you. No one cares. No one's sharpening you. They never will. And he wants to put you in isolation and say it'll never happen. But I will tell you this morning that the promise of God's word says, this is not my words. If it is my words, who cares? But this is, what, this is a principle that God's laid down. That if you want God to do something in your life, that you plant a seed. And in due season, you'll reap a harvest if you continue. You see, this morning, church, that's the call God's placed on us. And so often in our culture, in our world, we wait for this to happen or we don't do it at all. And I want you to know this morning, it's important for you to value this, find this important and own this. It's important for you to then to go from that and say, I'm going to plant a seed. Lord, here am I, send me. As your heads are bowed, eyes are closed this morning, i got to first ask, there's someone here that needs to make the most important friendship decision you've ever made. That's, this is your chance. You need to come to know Jesus. You might be here today. You might say, Pastor, I don't know Christ, or I, I knew him at one time, and I've walked away from him, or I, I think I, I, I was at church, but I don't really think I know him. This is your chance this morning. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. He is the friend. He is your ultimate friend. And that friend, that friend's the one who leads you. That friend's the one who takes you and puts you in places where you can thrive and live and learn. You need Jesus in your life. So if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you. I'm going to pray a prayer. We're going to all repeat this this morning. 
But when I pray this prayer, I want us all to repeat this, but especially if you want Jesus in your life, especially today, you pray this prayer with me. Okay? Let's pray. Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I'm, from this point forward, I'm yours. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for what I've done. Will you forgive me? Will you clean me up? Will you change me? Jesus, I'm yours from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Give God glory this morning, church, for those who have come to know Jesus. Hallelujah. Please, heads bowed, eyes closed. And again, you might be here today and say, Pastor, that's me. I, I need this in my life. I'll be honest with you. I'm a person. I have a million friends, but I don't have a lot of close friends. I've come to a place in my life many times where I've said, God, I need iron sharpens iron friendships. If that's you to say, Lord, you say, I need this, I want you to raise your hands this morning. And it's not a sign of, of weakness. This is a sign of surrender today. This is a sign that says, God, I, I, I need this in my life. That's you say, man, I need friendships like this in my life. If you, if you are, are a believer, I will just give you a little hint today. It's you, okay? Uh, all of us this morning, we need this in our lives. We need this in our heart. We need iron sharpens iron friendships. If that's you this morning, raise your hands. We're going to pray and ask God to minister. But we're not going to pray and say, Lord, let it just come to me. We're going to pray, God, I pray you would, you would place it on my heart. Lord, this is a need. Send me. Jesus, our hands are raised this morning. We recognize this morning that this is a need. Jesus, send me. Lord, send me. God, place it on my life and my heart. May this church be a church of those, God, who are living as you've called us to. You said, Jesus and John, you talked about how, Lord, people will know your love for me based on how well you love each other. Lord, may we be a church that loves like you've called us to. May this be a place, Lord, where you walk in and sense God's presence. But, Lord, also, when you walk in, Lord, and there can be iron sharpens iron friendships. And, Lord, let's make a culture where this is not waiting for it to happen. But, Lord Jesus, where we are, have the attitude that says, Lord, here am I. Send me. God, I'm going to do this. Lord, I'm going I'm to own this thing in my, in, in my life, in the life of somebody else. God, I pray for strong, iron sharpens iron friendships in all of our lives. I pray this in your name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen.